It's Monday night, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 44, season 2, the Anglo Italian pod. As always, I'm Tommy and I'm joined by my good friend and co host, Mr. Chris Quolo, Rory. How are you, Tommy? How are you doing? I'm doing fine ish. Um, I'm doing how's, well. how's isolation going? How are you holding up? God, the weekend was long. I don't know. There is this thing that uh, if I know that the people around me are actually enjoying the sunshine, doing fun things and stuff, I just get extremely depressed inside my apartment. But today, I woke up early in the morning. I was like, people are going to work. People are getting shit done. So it was today went by definitely much faster than the whole weekend combined. But no symptoms. And that's a good thing. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, back to work. Weekend was nice. Lots of football watched. Lots of football watched. Um, yeah, I feel like I've watched every game this weekend, but I'm good. Monday evenings, I'm always... First day of work kills me, honestly. Yeah, and uh, if we talk about uh, how we're doing football-wise, I think you're doing much better than I am. We are uh, I don't to- know, Tommy. I would, I would still swap our, our position in the table for you. But yeah, I think yeah. short-term, I'm a little bit happier from this weekend's events. Are we going to start with Serie A? Yeah, before we start, as always, remember to follow us on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod and on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod and to give a cheeky follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. We should also mention that this weekend there was a little strategic meeting going on between myself and yourself, trying to bring in new ideas for the pod after the AFCON, which was a lot of fun, but also tiring to look up, watch all those games. Uh, we are kind of trying to assess where we are at with our projects and to bring new ideas in. Rory, anything? To well, you? there is there is something that I wanted to talk about actually. Um, before we get onto the serious stuff, there has been a big announcement, a huge announcement in the world of English football today. Um, kids who grew up in the early two thousands, nineties kids, early two thousand kids will be excited by this. That's Masters. Nice. Football is back in the UK. Sky Sports Masters Football. Now, Tommy, have you heard of this? Never. Ever. Now, each team, so it would be a tournament, an indoor tournament, six aside, I think, or five aside, and Premier League teams or any team would submit their Masters. So they're like all-star team who are now retired, right? And they would play five aside games against each other and win these tournaments, right? It was, I remember watching so much of it as a kid, like, so much of it. You got these overweight 40-year-olds who were good in the 80s or whatever, but they'd still score absolute worldies, still mad technical, just obviously can't run anymore. And it was the greatest entertainment. Well, Sky Sports, no, Amazon are bringing it back. I think it's going to be on Amazon. It's starting again this season, and I'm mad excited about it. Now, Tommy, how much would you love this idea in Italy? Imagine Inter. If you yeah. could pick an Inter Masters team now, who are you having? Like, As in, you think they could still play, but they're not like oh all right this is fun well they could still play but they're not super fit what are the requirements like now they're in their 40s 50s like for arsenal it would be like ray parlor maybe dennis bergkamp like players that they're not like 80 but they could still kick a ball about all right i would have uh francesco toldo in goal no nice. i would have uh i would have materazzi as a center back mm. Um, on the wings, uh, I would probably use uh, Zanetti on one side, uh, Zanetti on the um, on the right side, and on the left side maybe Mycon. Uh, oh, nice, Mycon. Nice. And then I need two more. Well, I want. I would like to say Milito up front, but th- that was that was quite recent, wasn't it? Um, maybe he's retired. I I feel like no, he could no, still. Sorry, he, how, he would sorry. still get into Salernitana's uh, team. I reckon. So. B- Bobo Vieri up front. Yes, <laughs> of, course, of course, Bobo Vieri up front, and then uh, as uh, the the holding pawn at midfield, uh, I'm just gonna go for uh, Luis Figo, something like that. Oh. Man, that is a, like I feel like honestly, if this kicks off again in England, it should be as successful as it was last time because it was amazing. I would love to see a Serie A Sky Sports Masters League. It is honestly unbelievable entertainment. I'm so excited it's back, and I'm pretty excited to see who Arsenal's team is going to be. I think it's going to be kind of Ray Parler, maybe get Patrick Vieira out if it's in the off season. Like it's mad exciting. Cannot wait. 
and Sisu guys in the comments are we excited about masters football i'm excited and since you mentioned the uh, amazon prime i started watching the cholo simeone uh, series of documentaries um it's i watched the the first episode it was uh, it was pretty good um i got a bit tired of it because there were a lot of parts about his life with his kids and wife that i didn't really care of but i feel like the next episode is going to be more football than family hopeless wanderer says one for tom in the future an inter team that could have been roberto carlos coutinho mm, why not that could be that could be a, a an interesting uh, weekly topic to discuss i was on out of the other day <laughs> the other day i saw a very good meme that said it's impossible to make roma fans cry with one pick Dots, 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 and it was Zeko, Salah, and Alison hugging each other after Inter Liverpool, and you're just like, oh my god, man, what did we do? Why that did we team chase they had was unbelievable. That team they had was unbelievable. Yeah, and Bryce says, don't forget Pirlo for the Inter team. You know what, Pirlo, Sedorf, I connect them much more to AC Milan than I than to Inter Milan, unfortunately. Um, and I, I don't. I think Pirlo would pick Juventus or AC Milan way before Inter if he had to show up in one of these tournaments. Quite possibly, quite possibly. I, I kind of with, with the fact that Italian legends play for all the big clubs. It seems I, I it's often a mystery which one they pick because <laughs> they all just play for everyone, don't they? It doesn't really happen in England, but in Italy they don't seem to care as much. But we said we would start from Italy. Let's do it. Who do you think grabs the headlines? Will it be Inter Milan? Will it be AC Milan? Or will it be Juventus? Well, none of the three, ladies and gentlemen. This weekend is was all about freaking Sassuolo. Now, Sassuolo coming to the San Siro, performing greatly. Beautiful, beautiful game from Sassuolo. Consigli, Jesus Christ, this goalkeeper, when he when he sees when they're riding on the bus and this is the sign of Milano, he just goes, All right, baby, we're back. I have seen this guy overperform at the San Siro over and over and over again. Consigli, one of the best players on the pitch on Sunday, but let's start from a certain Mimmo Berardi, who is the first player across Europe's top five, top five leagues to record a double-double in assists and goals. Yes, you heard it right. He's got 10 assists and 10 goals this season. Salah, 17 goals, but only 9 assists. Benzema, even more goals, 18, but only 9 assists. Müller, 7 goals and 16 assists. Oof. And Payet... Eight goals and nine assists. The only one with a double-double is Mimmo Berardi, European champion with Italy. And now also the first one to record a double-double across Europe's top five, five leagues. Let's talk more about numbers. Across Europe's top five leagues, Sassuolo are the second team with the most under-23 players to score goals. They have scored 24 goals with under-23 players. Two of them, Scamacca and Raspadori, of course, scored this weekend. And the two combined, they have scored 18 goals so far. So things are going really well for Sassuolo, who this season have defeated Juventus, Inter, AC Milan, both at the San Siro, and also held Napoli to a draw 2-2 on the first day of December. What a and they beat season. Lazio. And they beat Lazio. And they beat Lazio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? What an incredible season. So you could say of the 33 points that they have, 10 points came against the top four teams. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's insane when you think about the fact that their highly rated manager left for Shakhtar Donetsk, right? And everyone was wondering what's going to happen to this team. Is he like... How much of a drop-off is there going to be? But Dionisi has got them, again, just turning up to these big stages and upsetting people. And that front three of Scamacca, Raspadori and Fratesi, or Berardi, looks absolutely unstoppable. They were I was so impressed with, with Sassuolo. They're a team I really enjoy watching. Raspadori and Scamacca have to be picked in the Euro squad. They already have, or for these qualifier squads, right? Yeah, dude. I, they have they... the relationship already. They have to be in there. They need. They must be in there. There was. I don't know. I I learned that this emoji means when you put the two fingers touching each other, like something like 
take notice or something like that. Okay. I saw it a lot on Italian football Instagram pages. They were just like Scamacca and Raspadori, dots, 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 Mancini. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, dude, let's do it. But uh, the other funny thing, if you want, is that uh, Raspadori and Scamacca have been under Inter's magnifying glass for next season. And they come to the San Siro and uh, they both score um, to make Sassuolo win the game. Scamacca did not celebrate, as the hopeless wanderer noticed. He explained that he didn't celebrate because he thought he was offside. Guess who else thought he was offside? Fucking Perisic, not tracking his run. Um, and uh, Andanovic, not really knowing what he was doing on the pitch. We're going to get there. But no, I, mean, <laughs> I can't talk about him anymore, man. We're going to get there. I definitely think that we're going to get there, but I definitely think that given Inter's recent uh, attacking struggles the the part of the field that we strongly need to operate on come summer is going to be the attack now about inter milan i don't know how long it's been since i saw such a poor 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 performance from the nerazzurri Honestly, Man, it, it felt like it all bad. of a sudden it f- I had to check the time and date because all of a sudden it felt like, I don't know, the Stramaccioni days that you're playing Sassuolo. Like 2008, like, 2009? No, wait, 2013, No, after, after like yeah, 2014 yeah, yeah. that you're just like, okay, we're playing Sassuolo. <sighs> Fingers <laughs> crossed. Well, I didn't expect it to be a super comfortable win. I expected a 2-1 maybe. But to see Inter underperform that much was absolutely. It was I mad. I, f- I found what I found insane was the amount of like bad first touches, the amount of dropped passes. Mm-hmm. It was all just like, you know, that Sassuolo are going to be super pumped at the high pressure. They're not going to give you a second to think. And every Inter player seemed to need that extra touch. They seemed to need that extra second. And obviously, they weren't allowed to have it. It just meant the Sassuolo were able to press them even like and just get beyond that midfield. It's the same mistake that we saw, the same problem we saw against Liverpool. The midfield was non-existent. It was just running through it. And this time you had Barella back and the midfield was still... Obviously, he's he's still been playing, though. If you know I mean, it's not like he's been out for a long time and he just looked rusty. I don't know. Brozovic didn't look that great. I just noticed that a lot of, like, dropped passes, bad first touches, and Sassuolo were there to take advantage. It was a real... I think the first half in particular was terrible. Um, Mon Sportif have just commented, lost confidence from the Champions League fixture. I The first thing that came into my mind was how big a psychological blow was that? Like, well, but we, you... said, we said before the game, like Liverpool were the favourites. Inter weren't expected to win there. Obviously, you're not going to be happy at losing 2-0 at home. But I think, I can't see it having them. If they'd lost to like Benfica or something at 2-0 at home, you'd be going, okay, yeah, maybe they're like really... Um, that's really not the confidence. But maybe they just put all their eggs in one basket for that game. I don't know. It did seem like their confidence had just been shot. I kind of hoped, uh, especially Lautaro Martinez posted on Instagram, like this picture of him in the pitch saying it's time to show our balls before the game. All right, we lost against Liverpool. We lost against AC Milan. Mm-hmm. Time to bounce back. No, 2-0 in the first half. I don't think any team has scored the two goals against us in the first half. And this is the first clean sheet that's a swallow keep ever since playing Salernitana in September and winning 1-0. This is their first, their second clean sheet in Serie A this season. And across these uh, 26 games, they've, foresee- they've conceded 44 goals. So I think that this is absolutely, uh, it shows how badly, how badly and how poor our attack has been recently. Across our last five games, we've managed to score only across all competitions, only two goals, one against AC Milan and one against Napoli. Where is our attack? But let's go position by position. Let's start from the goal. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, I want to say, firstly, of course, Consigli keeps a clean sheet the one week I don't start him and I start Montipo instead. But anyway, (laughs) I was just looking, before we move on to position for position, I was looking at Martinez. His last goal in the league was December the 17th against Salernitana. Sorry? How big of uh, uh, Martinez's last goal in Serie A was December the 17th against Salernitana. How big of a problem do you have with him at the moment? Well, I read a very good article, once again, by our boys, Previsto Contrasti. Um, they published this article a month ago, and they got a lot of stick for it because people were just like, you guys are not making any sense. They reposted it today, and it was about Lautaro Martinez's haircut. They said... 
basically <laughs> it was this whole article built around this haircut that was just like if you're a striker and you're from Argentina, we kind of are we kind of want to see like the rugged look, the desperate desire to score a goal <laughs> rather than rather than the hair constantly. Oh, I'm getting massive Graham Sunes and Pogba vibes here, Tommy. But was it sarcastic? Same, but no, it, it is a little bit sarcastic, but at the same time, it's just like I don't know, like if it, if in the if in the pitch then you put the fucking grit to be the forward that everybody knows you are. That, let's say that you can rock that haircut when you're man. I'm not going to get into great. people. I'm not. I do not think I, players' haircuts have any bearing on. No, that. but it's just like, like it's just like I don't know, man. From from an Argentinian, uh, I, I I kind of agree with this article. I I see the point that they're trying to make. They're not saying that the problem is that he spends too much time at the hairdresser. They're just saying the hair the the hairstyle is cool when you can match it to fucking performances on the pitch. Have Otherwise, you seen that in the Sim- the Simpsons where Grandpa Simpsons talking about the quarterback? in the 60s and it's like Johnny Unitas that's a haircut you could set your watch by and it's like a crew cut it's like a very old fashioned thing of like on that I want all my haircuts the same size I want I don't know I don't think it has that much of a bearing on it Tommy really I man it's not they're not I I just think I will send you the article I just think it's good because it's just like it, it the the owner of this hair cares more about his ad than he cares about scoring goals and right now it's been 2 months his form is bad uh, it doesn't work alongside the Zeko. It doesn't work alongside the Sanchez. Alongside the Sanchez, and it doesn't work alongside both. So I think that something needs to be done midfield forward from Inzaghi. Mm-hmm. The players just look clueless. They are looking like they're losing. They, they are forgetting ways to find goal. They don't know how mm-hmm. to find the fucking goal. And that is extremely worrying. But starting from the back, I mean... <laughs> I don't goal, even, it's not even it's, not, it's not even funny anymore, man. I got Ugh. so much stick for being a very average to low goalkeeper. And this guy plays in Serie A, and it's come to a point where it's a disadvantage to, to, to us against any team that we're playing against. Like that first goal, what, wait, it just went through his body. And the second one, I mean, it's very hard to save that one. But fucking do something. Try to show us that... You understood that the ball was going there. Come on, what are you doing there with your feet rooted to the ground? It's not even funny anymore. It's just scary at this point. Like our opposition knows that whenever they shoot on target, it's a goal. And how many goals have, have uh, how many shots on target have Inter conceded across the last three games? Fucking seven, and they got we got scored against six times. Ugh. So it was two shots against the Sassuolo, two goals. Two shots against Liverpool, two goals. Two goals. Three yeah. shots against AC Milan, two goals. Man, what the fuck? What is going on? Is, the there, is there any chance that the subkeeper comes in? Man, the subkeeper is Radu, and he's not exactly the person that I would. No, I know, I know he's not exactly going to like. But is there any chance that they just go, look, thank you, Samir, but it's over. We just need someone who can block a shot. Like I just saw it as a real. It's you're right. It's getting worse by the week, and it, it it's gone from like a running joke of him not diving to like, okay, what is he actually doing now? Because you're right, opponents will just start taking pot shots from forty yards and being like, let's just see if you can catch him out. Like yeah. it could it could get worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's absolutely incredible. And then we were missing Bastoni, but at the same time, this defense has already worked together. Um, at midfield, we were missing Brozovic because he was mm-hmm. disqualified. Barella kind of played in Brozovic's position, but that way around, we both lost Brozovic and Barella. Gagliardini, he, you would expect him to perform in the one occasion that he's given. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the quick thinking. And the Chalanolu, he was kind of lost without Barella and Brozovic. He had to cover... Um, he had to kind of play in a position that he's not very used in playing. He had a few shots. I don't think he's entirely to blame. I feel like the the, the rest of the midfield wasn't really mm. running. Barella had a horrible game. Yeah, horrible, was, horrible like, game. Really bad, really and bad. up front, I've already mentioned it, we don't know what we're doing. Like, Zeko and Lotaro Martinez have no idea where the balls are supposed to be coming from, where they're supposed to run towards. It's just looking bad. I didn't expect such a big slump. If we look at Inter's past five fixtures across all competitions, one win, one draw, and three defeats. 
that's that's very fucking so work. throughout this you're now at the other end of this tough run of fixtures right you've got liverpool next who've you got who've you got we, next? we've got the genoa in 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 Right now, we need to win these two games against Genoa mm-hmm. and Salernitana uh, oh, in Jesus, Serie A, yeah. the two upcoming games. Then in between the two, on March 1st, we've got AC Milan in the Coppa Italia. And after Salernitana, we've got Liverpool in the Champions League. So after this after this run of fixtures, you're finally kind of through it, this hard patch. What grade are you giving like A to F for Inzaghi on how he's done through this patch? I'm going to give it from 1 to 10, as we do in Italy. I'm oh. going to go for... Uh... Oh, wait, 1 is low and 10 is good, right? Yeah, 10 is yeah, the okay, best right, right, grade right, right. we could possibly get. I'm going to give Inzaghi, um, let me see, a 7 plus. A 7 plus, which uh, is a very good grade. And uh, it could have been... Let's let's give it a seven. It could have been a seven and a half slash eight minus had mm-hmm. these last games been different, but they weren't. So I'm just gonna give him a seven. Um, our roster is not the greatest. We have to okay. say that too. There are no substitute substitutes in the in the bench that can mm-hmm. really you know replace the players that are playing now. Except maybe I would give more of a chance to Caicedo. Uh, we know yeah, that. Yeah, we've not really seen him at all, right? Not at all. Um, I think maybe he was trying to fit in the system a little bit, but guess what? The system is not working, so just bring him in. Just throw him um, in. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And then in the summer, um, I think it's time to possibly say good, good goodbye to Sanchez first and foremost. And then we need two young strikers up front. Uh, I don't know what the, the club are thinking of doing with Lautaro Martinez, but I would keep him at the club. But I think he needs a more lively partner up front. Mm. Well, I think if there was a time to sell him, it was last summer. That's when clubs are interested. Yeah. This season isn't drumming up any more interest. I think, obviously, there's still an incredible player there. You're right. He needs a, a more dynamic partner to play alongside. I think if you pick your next striker based on how he's going to play with Martinez, then you've got a, a potentially really good strike partnership there, um, yeah. like you had with Lukaku. Yeah. And um, on uh, Saturday, we had uh, Salernitana AC Milan, a very unexpected draw. Now, I know you watched this game too, Rory, right? I watched the end of it. I turned on just in time for AC Milan to equalize. <laughs> I was like, oh, God damn it. Salernitana look a lot better. Salernitana yeah. look a lot better now. Salernitana with three consecutive draws in uh, Serie A. Uh, if you consider the fact that they've got a grand total of 14 points, that's pretty big. Three points over the past three games, one point against AC Milan too. And in this game, if they had won it, they wouldn't have stolen anything. Mm-hmm. They were there to win this game. They put everything that they had. AC Milan, in the end, they just needed to concentrate a little bit to level the result again. But it looked scary for some time. And I made fun of Maignan because he had a very Andanovic-like evening in uh, Salerno, and then the next thing you know is that uh, Andanovic is invisible. Balls go through him, literally. And before that, uh, we had uh, Juventus-Turin 1-1 in a game that Torino should have won because they were definitely the ones with the foot on the gas. But the big news is that, really, nobody's interested in winning Serie A as Napoli are currently down 1-0 away at Cagliari. That's so Napoli. That's so Napoli. What are they doing? Who scored for Cagliari? Pereiro. Pedro. Pereiro. Pereiro. Oh, Pereiro. Okay. He, he, he's having a very good 2022. Pereiro. Um, right now, the standings say that AC Milan are first at 56 points. Inter Milan second with the game in hand at 54. And Napoli are third at 53. Juventus... They are at 47, and behind them is Atalanta at 44, which are... I mean, if Inter are struggling, Atalanta are really, really struggling. Now, they were disallowed a goal that I don't believe should have been disallowed. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see it. I have no idea why. They said that he... Was it the fact that he was active or he was impeding the goalkeeper's view? I can't see it myself. I think that goal should have been allowed. Um, It should have been one all. Um. Yeah, if I was an Atlanta fan, I'd feel pretty hard done by. I feel like Fiorentina were a little bit lucky, but Atalanta a decent result, right? 
Yeah, Atalanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atalanta are in dire straits. Muriel picked up an injury during their Europa League fixture against Olympiacos, which they won two one, coming back from one nil down, and they had to play with Cop Miners as a false nine up front, a player that I really, really like, but. It's not his game, is it? It's it's not not his game, despite him making the most of it. Now, for Atalanta, this means that they haven't won a Serie A game since January the 9th against Udinese. After then, it's only been draws, namely against Inter, Lazio and uh, Juventus, and losses against Fiorentina, Cagliari even. So, yeah, definitely not a good 2022 for Gasperini and his band. And another very exciting game in the weekend was uh, Roma-Verona 2-2. Now, Verona looking incredible once again. They go 2-0 up at the Stadio Olimpico thanks to Barak and Tamez. And I have to say that Verona play incredible football. I love them. I love them. Both go- the second goal was just perfect pass after perfect pass. Find the open man easy. It was easy, effective, and beautiful, free-flowing football. But then Mourinho kind of loses it and brings in the youth team. And these two guys both score their first Serie A goal of the season, Volpato and Bove. And Volpato being the youngest goal scorer in Serie A this season overall. Now, the celebrations were quite intense. Uh, the, the stadium was all over these two guys. But I feel like, I don't know, in Rome, they told that there was a banner today at Trigoria with, where Roma, mm-hmm. at Roma's training ground that said, Mourinho, you have the keys to the eternal city. I just feel like he's, I mean, he's compensating the, the bad football with like, incredible antics is kind of working yeah. yeah i think i saw someone on twitter saying Mourinho used to do this at inter when the game was going badly he would just get himself sent off or do something that would get the crowd pumped up to therefore get the get his own team pumped up he's almost like sacrificing himself to get like something happening on the pitch look i thought like when it was announced Mourinho to roma i was like yeah those two are just made for each other i feel like that city I knew that City would fall in love with him. They have fallen in love with him. We've talked about it before. I think he's going to be there for a while. Like if they like, if they let him, I think he sees it as a project. Can we talk about him getting sent off yet? I absolutely love the fact that he booted the ball away and then did the phone sign to a referee who was involved in the Calciopoli scandal. Just peak Mourinho. How much do you love to see it, Tommy? I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, it was. He just looked like a kid. He showed <laughs> his tongue so too, and then he kicked the ball, and then he did the little telephone, and then he picked up a red card. Without no, he uh-huh. he went to the Verona bench to say goodbye to Tudor, who was fucking amused. Which was like, <laughs> off you go, man. Like the show is yours. You are the showman tonight. Um, but yeah, this is Roma's third consecutive draw in Serie A, uh, and all draws I want to say were two twos. Uh, No, it was 2-2 against uh, Verona, of course, 2-2 against Sassuolo and 0-0 against Genoa. So Roma not in the best of forms. And right now they've slipped uh, two points behind uh, Lazio and Fiorentina to try and punch a ticket for the Conference League. But honestly, I don't think that Mourinho is that interested in that competition. In other news... Quagliarella, right after Rory Selsin at Fantasy Football. Mate, I honestly, I nearly threw my phone at the wall. (laughs) Makes it 100 goals for Sampdoria and one (laughs) of the few players to have scored in something like, I don't have the strat right in front of me, but something like 16 consecutive seasons in Serie A. Holy fucking shit. This guy has been around for quite some time. Yeah, Rory, you did the right thing. Nobody knew that he would come in. No, I know, I know, I know. He's not scored all all season. He's barely played. I gave him away for free and I was like, oh, Sampdoria, 2-0 up. It better not be Qualiorella. (laughs) Like, god damn it. Other results before we answer Adam's question. Venezia Genoa 1-1 and Udinese Lazio 1-1. In my opinion, there was a penalty kick for Udinese, but it wasn't Mm. awarded. So... 
We don't know, but what do we also make of Belotti potentially signing for Atalanta on a free at the end of the season? Well, Adam, maybe you don't know that actually Belotti is from Bergamo, from the Bergamo area. Uh, he actually started, I want to say, I'm going to double check, but I want to say that he started in Atalanta's youth team. Look, about Belotti, I've kind of lost my hope. I don't think he's that good of a forward anymore, and I think he kind of rode the wave for some time, but it's not really going that well anymore. He was at Albino Leffe, not at Atalanta, but Albino and Leffe, they are two towns near uh, Bergamo. Um, But he's from the area. I could, honestly, I could see him, though, at Atalanta. Um, Maybe... I haven't seen him play that well in a long time, but maybe that is the kind of place where to restart. Not a top, top club, but kind of a middle to top club uh, where he could do well, I think. I feel like he'd definitely get the service, right? I feel like in Torino, he's in a team that isn't quite as good as he is. If he makes that step up to Atalanta, I think he's going to get enough chances. And I think in general, he's a pretty... Like, I was just looking at his goal record. It's 95 goals in 200-odd games for Torino. That's not bad, considering Torino are almost always near the bottom of the table. I think it could be a great move for him. Um, Yeah, for Torino, letting your best player or getting to the point where your best player can leave on a free is fairly stupid. But I think also for them, maybe it's a time to move on from him and try and get a bit... They're trying to take the club in a new direction with Juric, right? Trying to get a bit of fresh life in the squad. I think maybe moving on from him might not be the worst thing for them either, as long as they replace him, right? Right. And that's it, as Cagliari are still 1-0 winners against Napoli at the 73rd minute. Tonight, Bologna are going to take on Spezia right after this stream. But I think it's time to move to the Premier League, Rory. The Premier League. What city are we starting from? Oh, well, we're going to start in Manchester, I think. Both the Manchester teams were involved in the games of the weekend, I think it's fair to say. Good news, guys. Um, The title race is back in the Premier League. We thought it was over. We thought we'd basically called it for Man City. We'd said, you know, congratulations, Pep. But through Liverpool's determination and Man City. Man City's consistent ability to lose to Tottenham, which we're going to get on to. Now, Liverpool find themselves six points behind Man City with a game in hand, and they play Leeds on Wednesday, I believe, which is that game in hand. Leeds, we will see. They love to concede a goal, so I think Liverpool will definitely be feeling confident about that one. But let's start in Manchester. Manchester City 2, Tottenham 3. And I was out walking the dog for the first half of this game. I was like, and I'll come back and catch the second half. Saw that Tottenham were 1-0 up. And I was like, oh, God damn it. Kulisensky <laughs> scoring. I was so annoyed. I was like, it's right. City will do this. City will do this. They equalize. I'm like, okay, yeah, now, right, City, click into gear. Take it into, like, comfort mode. I got back, and Harry Kane had one of the best centre-forward performances I've ever seen. The guy was unbelievable. Not only is a centre-forward... But he was dropping so deep and playing as a number 10. And it's something that I think you forget he can do. And you're like, oh my God, his passing is unbelievable. Like, his movement is unbelievable. You're like, why why has he not been doing this all season, right? This is like a standout performance, an incredible performance. But it's the first time he's really turned up this season. I think for Tottenham fans, it'll be encouraging because you're like, okay, here he is. But then, are you worrying that he's not doing it on, on a consistent basis? But we should actually talk about the game. Man City, they played into Tottenham's hands and refused to change. Now, I feel like, you know how Pep is kind of influenced by Bielsa, right? And we'll get onto Bielsa's refusal to change as well. I feel like Pep just did nothing to prevent the obvious flaws that were happening in, in this team. No player from Man City was picking up the Tottenham players in between the lines. Nobody was tracking players. And they maintained that high line. So every time Tottenham, with a very effective press, got the ball, there was just acres of space behind them for Son and Kane to run into. Now, Son and Kane have now equaled the best ever partnership in the Premier League history. So it was Drogba and Lampard with, on 36 goals together. Son and Kane now have 36 goals together, so they are going to become the best partnership in Premier League history. But Guardiola just didn't do anything to to combat it. The game was absolutely mental. City equalised in the last minute through a Mares penalty and then somehow still endeavoured to lose it. Um, 
And for City now, they've let the title race come back in. Pep Guardiola has lost to the last four Tottenham Hotspur managers. It's Ooh. insane. Like this hoodoo they have over City is genuinely impressive. And I think, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I'm thinking, oh, sh- like, this top four race is, yeah, this top four race is going to be so horrible and tense in the entire season. I was really hoping either United or Tottenham would start slipping away, and neither of them are. Um so yeah, an incredible, incredible game. Harry Kane, is he going to wake up? Yet? Is he going to wake up or was it just an audition for his future team? What do you think, Tommy? I just think that Contable is starting to work really, really well because all three goals, they came from mm-hmm. Contable-like plays, like yeah. building from the bottom, building from the defense. And I mean, the, the first one, beautiful, beautiful goal. The second one too, and the third one, just like kind of worked, right? Um mm-hmm. Kind of, I don't know, maybe it's starting, but I have to say that this is the full, the full, almost the full Tottenham game that I watched in a while. I would have to watch more to see if it was kind of one in in yeah. once in the, a while type of thing or not. The the thing for the thing for me again is what they're gonna do against Burnley midweek. Because I think a massive a massive performance like this could be huge, but you need to follow it up by then beating the team you're expected to beat, right? And we've seen Tottenham slip up against teams that they want that they aren't expected to this season so I think that is a big one for them but you're right Conte really had them like he had them pressing the wide areas because that's where City are so dangerous through Cancelo right and just forcing them out wide forcing them out wide winning the ball back quick transition onto the other wing and they were gone like it was Guardiola was out coached he was definitely out coached um, and yeah, Guardiola's refusal to do anything about the quite obvious flaw in his team and his performance was a bit baffling Um so, yeah, it means title race back on, title race back on, and Liverpool were able to take advantage by easily beating Norwich. Um, in the end, it was easy. It was definitely nervous. Um, Rashika for Norwich was unbelievable, genuinely exciting player, a player that I think if or when Norwich go down, there will be Premier League teams looking at him. I think I was looking at stats. He's one of the best dribblers in the league in terms of like his rate of success, his range of passings, incredible. He got the first goal and had a goal disallowed um before that but Liverpool managed to come back a beautiful bicycle kick from Sadio Mane bordering on violent bicycle kick I would say um and then Salah's 150th goal for Liverpool in now I need to get the stat in 233 games the only player to reach that landmark quicker was Roger Hunt who did it in 226 also, what a beautiful goal. Did you see this goal, Tom? Yeah, yeah, I did see the highlights for this game. The way he absolutely spins the goalkeeper with that back heel is just incredible. Strokes it into the far post. Unbelievable goal. Genuinely a really nice goal to watch. Um, and then the third goal was by Luis Diaz, who... Fuck that, man. These guys instantly, are everywhere. Yeah. Instantly has become a great player for Liverpool, right? And I want to talk, we've just talked about City and Guardiola, right? And they had the striker they wanted to get scored two goals against them while their £100 million signing sat on the bench, right? And we've talked about for a while how City players, when they sign new players, it takes a while for them to fit into the system, right? Mm -hmm. For Liverpool, this doesn't happen. They sign a player and they are instantly effective. Diego Jogo Jota was instantly effective, right? Came in, started scoring goals, starting getting assists. It was like he'd been there all his life. Luis Diaz, it looks like he's doing the same. And you have to say for Klopp and the team there that analyze and like recruit players, they are just on point every single time. They know exactly the type of player they need, exactly how they're going to fit in the system. And they can play a day after they sign. It is incredible. Like Luis Diaz, already having a major impact at Liverpool. And they're replacing that front three while the front three are, all, are still in the team. Like, it's genuinely scary. So a great a great, great, a great win for Liverpool, which keeps the title race on. It's going to be entertaining. Man, what I, do you think that maybe, like, they, they start talking to these players a few months before and they're just like, hey, man, there is a high chance that we, we want mm. to sign you, like, start getting ready. And by the time they get to Liverpool, they're fucking fueled up and ready to go. Who knows? Maybe there are some little mind games. I think they put a lot, a lot of preparation into their signings. And it is very much like, I know they always look at um, your running off the ball is like a massive thing. Like, because doesn't he set a target of like 120 kilometers collectively across the team, ran every 90 minutes? I know they look a lot 
at like a player's running stats off the ball um, and their amount of presses in a 90. They do like research a lot who they're going to buy. And I just think it's quite a stark thing between Klopp and Guardiola that City signings always seem to take a season to take effect. Whereas Liverpool has just come into the team straight away. And Grealish just been sat on the bench. I'm pretty sure he's on the bench. I didn't hear his name being called. While he was sat on the bench the entire time, it's just a bit more of a stark difference, I think. Man City and Liverpool, they're going to face off each other. I don't think in that long from now. No, no so it actually is. Uh, April it's 9th. towards the end of the season, but April I was looking 9th. at their fixtures. Now, City have to play the tough games they've got coming up. They've got Wolves away, United at home, Liverpool at home, and West Ham away. As for Liverpool, they've got that the big game for them is that City away game. Now, I can't remember what season it was. It must be three or four seasons ago. I'm sure Chris will remind us where the title decider was basically at the Etihad as well. I feel like I was in Poland. I can't remember what year it was, but it's going to be like a rerun of that. I remember Aguero scoring in that game, maybe, but that game is going to be absolutely huge, especially if Liverpool do beat Leeds in this midweek. But let's talk about top four hopes as Arsenal. Had a pretty good weekend, didn't they, Rory? 2-1 against Brentford. Goals by Rowe and Saka. And let me tell you, what a goal by Bakayoko Saka. Holy shit. <laughs> How excited can I get about Smith, Rowe and Saka? How excited am I allowed to get? Go, like, go, for, I, it. go for it. Honestly, oh my God. Emil Smith, Rowe is now the highest scoring Englishman in the Premier League. Nine goals. He's the highest scoring midfielder in the Premier League. This is his first full season in the Premier League. He is so exciting. And again, it reminds me of the the quote that I think Jamie Carragher said. There's there's very few players in the Premier League that are more dangerous on the ball than Smith Rowe when he's got space in front of him. And that first goal, the, the goal he scored against Brentford, you can see the pitch just opened up, shifted inside. Like, just what a beautiful goal. And I think the fact that there are lots of problems in this Arsenal team. We do not have a striker. We do not have a striker. Um the fact that these two young players from our youth academy are being so key and it's looking like we can count on them in the big moments. Like they're not just flashes in the pan. This is consistently, they are fishing us out of difficult situations. Like we could easily have drawn that game nil nil. It took us until the 70th minute to score. We absolutely battered Brentford first half. I think we had 10 corners, like 16 shots in the first half, but teams know that they can stop us from scoring. But again, Smith Rowe and Saka just absolutely key. I love that they're best mates. I think we're going to have a problem when we come up against the better teams. We've still got to play off the top of my head. We've got to play Liverpool at home. We've got to play United at home. We've got to play Chelsea away. Um, We've got to play Tottenham away. So we've still got four, five big games there. We've got Wolves at home this week. And I think against the bigger sides, that's where we're going to see that we don't have a striker and we might be prevented from scoring. But as long as we keep beating the teams we're supposed to beat, we've still got a chance. It was just a great, a great win. I'm really annoyed about we didn't get a clean sheet. Really, really annoying. And also, I do not know what we have to do to get a penalty, but frig me. We had Lacazette cleaned out, no penalty, and two clear handballs, no penalty. I don't know what we have to do to get a penalty at this point, but refs do not like helping us. It's getting a bit ridiculous. But we win. We win. And this weekend would have been much worse if we hadn't won because everyone around us won. So it was really important that we got the three points. West Ham, what did they do? I feel like they... They drew one all to Newcastle. So they were the only team in the top four race that really kind of dropped points. Um, This game, again, I just feel like West Ham is going to get harder and harder for them. People keep saying it, but this Europa League and top four race with such a small squad, I can just see them dropping away a little bit. All the teams around them have got games in hand. So Arsenal have got three games in hand on them. Wolves have got two. Spurs have got three. I know you shouldn't count points of games in hand but it does feel like West Ham might just slip away as because I think they could go far in the Europa League and I think they should really be focusing on it but New, Newcastle haven't dropped points in the Premier League since December 19th mm-hmm. against Man City they haven't lost a game since then draw to Manchester United and Watford and then wins against Leeds Everton Newcastle uh, Aston Villa and right now a draw to West Ham Their next game up is against Brentford. Could they win Mm -hmm. it, Rory? Oh, definitely. I think these are two teams that are very much in different trajectory. Brentford are now five without a win, if not longer. In their last five, they've got four losses and a draw. Newcastle, as you said, three wins and two draws in their last five. Newcastle are definitely the favourites. They look like they've taken such a step up 
just since January, they're just their general quality has improved. And the thing is, it's not just the players they brought in. It's Eddie Howe is getting the players that Steve Bruce was making look terrible. He was getting he's getting them to play pretty well. So players like Joe Linton, who was a he was a punchline in the Premier League. Like he's now playing in midfield as a kind of box to box midfielder almost, doing an unbelievable job. Players like Willock, who was losing his way a little bit. John Joe Shelby, he's got almost back to his best, starting to play good football. So I think Eddie Howe needs to get a lot of credit for the fact that he's improving the squad, not just that he spent ninety million. Yes, that helps, but he's improving the squad all around, and they do look like just a difference above now. They're now five points clear of the uh, relegation zone. I want to say, um, yeah, four, 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 four points clear. Level on games with Watford, I think they're really they're going to be looking up rather than down. And weirdly, the two teams above them are going to be looking down and not up. Um, Everton and Leeds and Brentford, the three above them, are going to be a little bit concerned about getting dragged into it. But a decent result for Newcastle away at West Ham, we know it's a difficult place to go. Aston Villa lose at home against Watford, but the a big standout game for Rory was Brighton nil, Burnley three. Yeah, where the hell did this come from? A stat. Now, Vout Veghorst, he might be one of my favorite players to enter the league this season. I absolutely love watching him. He's the definition of a Burnley player. He's about eight foot. He's physical. He can hold the ball up great in the air, but really technical with his feet, like a great player. He scores his first goal for the club, and it's a beauty of a goal. Now, here's a stat, Tommy. Veghorst is only the third player to score for Burnley in the Premier League who isn't British. What third, the third, third player, right? They are Brexit FC, like all their players are English, <laughs> Scottish, Irish. He's the third one to be born out outside the British Isles to score for them in the Premier League. It's incredible. He's a really, really great player to watch. Brighton now are basically on the beach. We know that their season is basically done, but to get done three nil at home is pretty embarrassing. But again, for those teams that are trying to stay out of the relegation battle, this has been a bad weekend. Burnley win, Watford win, um, Newcastle get a point, Norwich lose, at least there's that. But I think the relegation battle is going to be quite close again. And every week it changes. Every It is shifting rapidly. And can I say one thing about Brighton? Another great uh, point for the Seagulls is uh, the goalkeeper. Mr. Sanchez, he's been incredible this season, I feel like. Um, I feel like one of the goals he could have done better on. The I, I second goal maybe he should have done better on, but in general, he's been a great goalkeeper. And I mean, yeah. they have considered only 28 goals mm-hmm. across 25 games, which for a team like Brighton is pretty... I mean, Manchester United, West Ham have considered more. Um, I want to say, well, almost even with Arsenal. I mean, that's very impressive mm-hmm. for, for Brighton. There it is, it is. But Tommy, we've not even talked about the, the thriller down at Ellen Road. I can't believe we've not got there yet. But also teams trying to stay out of the relegation zone, Leeds United. Now, this was such a, it felt like a 90s game, Tommy. It was beautiful. It was a full Ellen Road, Leeds versus Man United. Now, this rivalry is massive. Like, Leeds fucking hate United. You could feel the atmosphere in that place. I would love to see a game at Ellen Road. I've been there to watch the Alex, but it's not quite the same atmosphere as Leeds, Leeds against United, I think. Um, it was pouring down, so the pitch was an absolute state. Players were flying into each other, tackles everywhere. Scott McTominay's put a picture up of his ankle after the game, and it is in absolute pieces. He may be, he was very lucky. He could have been sent off, but people have been going a bit hysterical about that. But this game was, again, kind of, summed up United and kind of gave me a little bit of hope as an Arsenal fan for the top four race because I feel like even when they had victory secure in their hands they did their best to throw it away they were 2-0 up they scored their second goal just before half time so just to kill the game at that point you're like okay United all you got to do is drop a bit deeper be patient slowly play the game and just wait to catch leads on the break you know what they're going to do just catch them on the break United did not do that in a mad 24 seconds, Leeds managed to get back into the game. Now, the first goal was definitely a cross that accidentally went in, right? You have to mm-hmm, say that. Yeah. That was not a goal. But beautiful goal nonetheless. Then Rafinha equalizes. He came on at halftime and really did change it for Leeds as well. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, this is United chaos again. They did. But then Ranić brings on Fred and um, Alanga, takes off Pogba, who was one of United's best players. You're like, oh, that's a bit. That's a bit of a weird move. 
And then who scores the winning goals? Fred, Fred. and Alanga. And you're like, okay, right. This guy is managing it. He knows his squad. He knows what he wants to do. And they seem to be annoyingly clicking a little bit. But I still think against bigger sides like United, I was looking at their fixture list. They have got a really rough, I want to say March. I'm just going to find the fixtures that they've got. So in March, they have City away, Spurs at home and Liverpool away. Um, and then in April and May, they have Arsenal away and then Chelsea at home towards the end of the season. So United still have quite a lot of tough games to come up. And I think against these bigger sides, maybe some of that chaos will be punished a little bit more. For Leeds, so sometimes when I watch them, it just feels like they're down to 10 men. And you're like, there's just there's just something missing. There's always space. There's always a gap. I feel like maybe they've been found out a little bit this year. We know that Bielsa isn't going to change what he does. They're still great to watch, but I think as a Leeds fan, your heart... Your blood pressure probably isn't going to be that healthy this season. I think they should be okay because they're all worse teams than them, but they really do need to start getting points at some like soon, like really soon. Um, they left this season. They've got to play. Um, they've got Liverpool away, Spurs at home, Leicester away, and Villa at home. So they've got really tough games coming up. Like they need to start picking up points somewhere. And we need to talk also, finally, before we review quickly this week's Champions League action, Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace, Chelsea. Chelsea win by one goal, but the, the most incredible stat is that the ball boy had more touches than a certain Romelu Lukaku. Eight versus seven. <laughs> we were saying that we could have used some Lukaku against Liverpool. Well, now I don't know. Like I feel like Lukaku, if if he doesn't get the right balls, which means literally a ball to your feet, he doesn't doesn't touch that many balls, does he? This could be like the biggest career killer. Like I honestly, the drop off has been sharp. But I'm trying to figure out what the actual issue is. Like it can't. It can't be that Lukaku's just down tools, right? And he's like, fuck it, no. I'm not into it. It can't be that overnight he's a terrible player. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not into it anymore. Yeah, you know what? I'll just, maybe he just fucking hates Chelsea. He's like, you know what? I'll just come here and take your money and do fuck off. That's what he did last time. I don't know. Like, maybe he just hates the club. But I think it's, I'm trying to figure out if it's him, if it's the team, or if it's the system. There's something that's not clicking. Because there, it's either... To have seven touches in a game, like that's seven touches more than me and you, Tommy. Like we almost had as much of an impact <laughs> on the game as he did, right? I think for that to happen, either he has to be purposely hiding and not looking for space or his teammates aren't looking for him. Like I just, I, I need to figure out what the problem is. Tuchel needs to figure out what the problem is because they are a decent striker away from being a genuine contender for the title and they've just dropped 100 million on this guy. I know Chelsea's money is pretty much bottomless, but are they really going to go out and drop another 100 million next summer on a striker? That would be three summers in a row where they've tried to buy a big striker and it's failed between Werner, Lukaku, who next? I saw them link with Jonathan David. Um, I was like, is that another player they're just going to throw money at? Like, I don't know. They really need to try and get this working. For Palace, they've now conceded 20%. So eight out of the 36 goals they've conceded this season have come in the last five minutes of games. Patrick Vieira just needs to try and get this team to be able to see out a result or to be able to see out a game. They're just really, really not getting that full 90 minutes. I think for Vieira, this was always going to be like an up and down season about him consolidating, getting a young squad, etc. But they do need to sort out their, their concentration towards the end of games. They're throwing away a lot of points. True, true. And it's Champions League week, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow night, we're talking about Chelsea. Let's have Chelsea. Chelsea take on Lille at the Stamford Bridge at 9 p.m. Central European time. Of course, that is tonight, in case you're listening in podcast format. Rory, predictions about this game? Uh, which one, sorry? <laughs> completely Chelsea. switched off. Sorry, Chelsea-Lille. We were talking about Chelsea-Lille. Lille um, are not doing incredibly. They are 11th in Ligue 1 with 36 points. They've won 9, equalized 9, lost 7, and their recent form doesn't look that great. Now, they came through that Champions League group that we were just like, God mm -hmm. damn it, couldn't Inter be in there. It <laughs> yeah. was with, uh, I want to say, Wolfsburg. Yes, Wolfsburg, Salzburg, Salzburg, and the Sevilla, right? That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, look, we, we know Leal are Liga and holders, technically, but their manager has left. A lot of that squad has left. This is not the same team, right? Uh, Galtier went to Nice, who are now third. So he was definitely a key reason in why Leal did so well last season. Um, I think Chelsea are going to be feeling pretty confident heading into this game. I can see a fairly comfortable win. Um, I'm going to say 3-0 Chelsea. But Hopeless Wanderer says, a bit like Chelsea, Lille are a cup team. In fact, if you look at the beginning of their season, they weren't doing that great in Ligue 1, but they still managed to finish top of their group. We shall see. I can see a Chelsea win, but maybe not as comfortable as Rory says. Ladies and gentlemen, wrong predictions only. Let's get to Villarreal Juventus. Unai Emery, the man... Of the cups. Come on, Emery, man. Come on. Come the on. man of the cups. However, not when he was at Arsenal, right? Um, the only team he didn't win the, the Europa League with. Yep. There you go. And, uh, spoiler alert, there is no way he can win the Europa League this season. So, might as well go for the giant killing and taking down Juventus. Now, this is the team that won 3-1 against Atalanta. When they had to play them at home. Uh, on the last match day of the Champions League in the group stage. They won 3-2 against Atalanta and uh, qualified to the, to the round of 16. Only one point behind Manchester United with three wins, one draw and two losses. Now, if there is a person that knows international football, that is Unai Emery. If there is a team that is performing like shite, that is Juventus. So I think this is definitely going to be an interesting matchup. Apparently, Dybala is not going to be playing because of a muscular problem. Um, so I think that Villarreal, they're going to play at home. I think that if they focus, they could even snatch a win here. Yeah, I really I really think they could do something. They're a tricky team to play. They've kind of they've won away at Betis this year. They've drawn with Real Madrid. They've like really pulled off some big results. I would not be surprised if they got something. As you said, Emery's um pedigree in Europe genuinely is very good. He even got he did get Arsenal to a European final. We don't get to many. Um so I think yeah he could definitely get something here. I'm gonna say a I'm gonna say a draw. I'm gonna say a draw. I think Emery loves a first leg draw. A first leg draw for Villarreal and Juventus, and we move on to Wednesday, always 9 p.m. Central European time. Atletico Madrid take on Manchester United, and I am very excited about this, this game. Could, this could be anything. I do not know what is going to happen in this game. This is two teams that concede a lot of goals, two teams kind of in their, their past glories. To like, this is not a Simeone team, they are shipping so many goals, but they're playing. Like, did you see Suarez's goal at the weekend from nearly the halfway line? Like, as long as he's on the pitch, you've always got a chance. I feel like this game could be honestly like eight goals or it could be nil-nil. Like, I do not know what's going to happen in this game. And I was looking up uh, the previous games between Atletico Madrid and Manchester United, but it feels like they've never really played each other. Off the top of your head, can you think of another Atletico Madrid-Manchester United game? I off the top of my head now i can't if you give me two seconds i'm going to look at that head to head and see what it says yeah i was looking at it on my app and there is no head to head um where do you look it up usually on a transfer market 11 versus 11 is pretty good uh they've only played each other twice and that was in 1991 yeah so they have not played each other at all in the european cup winners cup that's it two times let's go one four one on aggregate there we go do you think that atletico's fans are going to be happy to see cristiano ronaldo smile on their home turf again <laughs> this is and it has hopeless wanderers just chipped in ronaldo could be oh, the atletico match this is going to be the decider right atletico ronaldo will get a hat trick he will get and i when i lived in madrid atletico were my team i loved atletico but that video of the atletico fans saying cry more ronaldo cry more and then he scores a hat trick the next tie is Hilarious. Um, I think, yeah, he could. he's going to be the deciding factor, isn't he? He's going to be. And finally, we've got on Wednesday night, Benfica Ajax. Now, Ajax are possibly the most informed team in Europe at the moment. They are also the team to have conceded the least goals. They're in spectacular form. And here, I don't think there is going to be any chance for Benfica who are sitting third in their uh, in the Portuguese league and across their last uh, uh, 
five games. They've won two, lost one. They won three, lost two, and uh, drawn one. They don't look like in super incredible form. I'm not an expert about Portuguese football, um, but here I have to say that I'll put my neck on the line for Ajax. Yeah, I think Benfica have just come back. They drew two all to Boa Vista. Now, they were 2 0 up, and Boa Vista managed to stage a comeback in the last 10 minutes. Boa Vista are 14th in Liga Nosh and in a relegation battle. Huge point for them. Benfica definitely two points lost. As Hopeless Wanderer has handedly pointed out, Darwin Nunez for them is a striker that a lot of people are excited about. But I am going to say Ajax are going to get something here. Yeah, Tommy, when you talked about it, they looking at their Eredivisie form, right? <laughs> so, played 23, won 18, drawn 3, lost 2, goals for 70, goals against 5. Yeah, no, it's in it's mad. <laughs> it's yeah. insanity. Their goal difference is 65. PSV in second, their goal difference is 28. <laughs> like, they are blowing that league away. This is we know Ajax have been incredible. Ten Hag is doing an unbelievable job. The last time they were in Portugal, they absolutely spanked Liz, uh, Sporting. So I think it could be a bad one for Benfica. Our friend Adam says, Benfica not in form, but have an interesting team. Keep your eyes on Darwin. I thought it was English, and he wrote, wrote The Origin of Species. Didn't know <laughs> not quite. Well, Darwin Nunez, he again is someone I've signed on Football Manager, and he's very good. So, yeah, guy to be excited about. Crazy physical, like, yeah, really, really good player. Guys, we've come to the end of our stream. Remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and to give a cheeky little follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. In the meantime, over in Sardinia, Victor Oziman has equalized for Napoli. The Did game you has ended. Him? Did you start him this weekend? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I've got all of my strikers are out. Lozano is out. Muriel <laughs> is out. I've got nobody else to play. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is so odd. AC Milan pick up a draw against Salernitana. Inter lose to Sassuolo. Napoli draw to Cagliari. And Juventus draw to Torino. So it feels like up there, the only ones that really took advantage um, this time around were nobodies. Inter Milan lost the points. We a, a draw would have been enough, but we lost. Yeah, 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 yeah. You really have like Pazza entered it a little bit. Yeah, Pazza entered it. Fuck that shit. <laughs> All right, man, guys, it's been a pleasure. Talk to you on a Friday once again. Thank you for joining us. Bye. See you later, guys.